If you took over as boss tomorrow, you had all the power in the office or the company, you were the big dog, what would you do? What changes would you make? Maybe you've dreamt of this. I'd make this change or that change. And maybe some of those changes might be good, though sometimes we want to make changes and they, you know, they're not going to necessarily be as great as we would think they would be. But what would you do if you were fully in charge? Which is a great question because I, you know, I, I oftentimes think when there's a critic or a know-it-all, someone who always thinks that they've got uh, all, they, they could tell you everything that's wrong with whatever the organization that you're running. And of course, you were thinking in context of the church and and I often want to say, do you know how bad things would be if you were running the show? Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so true. And yet a lot of us have this that mindset, man, if I were in charge. Well, I feel like somebody's not really ready for leadership if they feel like they're ready. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Here we see Jesus knowing he has all authority given to him. And we see the first thing that he does. And it is extremely challenging. We'll see that in just a second. We're in John chapter 13. You're listening to Between the Lines. I'm Junior. And I'm Scott. And we'll jump right into this. All right. So verse one, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during the ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around him. I just want to point that out. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. What's the first thing he does? He changes into servants' clothes and washes feet. First thing Jesus does when he knows that he has all authority, becomes a servant. Is that your is that, plan? Yeah. Is that what you, you would think do? about? Oh, okay. If I was in charge, is servant part of that? And yet he didn't relinquish his responsibility. He didn't relinquish his authority, his teaching that he was still their master, that he's going to say later on, you call me master and you're right. I am. I am the boss. So he wasn't he wasn't kowtowing or just giving up or running away from responsibility. Instead, he was teaching them that if you're truly responsible, if you're really shouldering responsibility, you're going to serve the people around you. Yeah. There's this tension, I think, with good leadership is you serve and you lead. Yeah. Serve and lead, serve and lead. And, and usually you serve as you lead, but it's it's just this idea of like, I'm going to serve them and then I'm also going to push and, them and lead them. Yeah. And, and we, man, we got a long chapter here, so I can't do much more commenting, but uh, I, I'm very passionate about this. A big part of the leadership then when you're a servant leader is the way you lead is not for your benefit. It's not so that you can feel bigger or people are listening to you or that you get all of these perks. You lead in such a way that it is a blessing to others. That's the whole idea is you're leading so that it benefits them. That's what good husbands and fathers do, and that's what good company leaders do as well. All right, we better get back into this, though. And so verse 7, Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well. Lord, just not just my feet. I mean, there's no middle ground for a man of extremes. Verse 10, Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet. To be entirely clean and you, you disciples are clean, 
but not all of you are. For Jesus knew who would betray him, and that is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. So again, that he doesn't relinquish who he's supposed to be and what his responsibilities are. If you're a boss, don't don't relinquish that. Don't run from your responsibility. Don't don't cave in or give it give everything away to other people so that you don't have to face difficulties or challenges. Jesus never did that. Or they give in to people and they say, "Well, I'm just serving. I'm being a servant leader. I'm just giving in." It's like, no, it's just That's, weakness. <laughs> I hear I hear a lot of husbands say that. Yeah. They're serving their wife by never taking the responsibility never of making decisions and challenging and, yeah. and saying, hey, this is who we're supposed to be as a family. Verse 14, and since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Yeah, such a great picture there. And I think sometimes Christians then will, you know, it's like we, we love this so much that sometimes Christians will do these ceremonies of foot washing, <laughs> which to be honest with you, I find kind of weird. I've done it once yeah. and I'm like, it was a little awkward. I've done it a couple of times. Because it's, it's not part of our time. culture, no, right? I'm not part, making fun of what Jesus did. It was something that they did. Yes. They did this in their culture. It's what servants actually did. So in fact, there was a, there was a group, of, it was a motorcycle, Christian motorcycle group where they were operating very worldly in that the leaders were like worldly Christian motorcycle groups where they were like uh, almost mafia bosses. And they yeah. demanded that the, the first year people had to jump to their aid every time they snapped their fingers. And, and they asked uh, at camp, they asked if they could have stuff prepared for their first year, you know, the, the, I don't know, the peons to wash the feet of the camp staff. And I told the guy, I said, that's not like Jesus. If you really want to do what Jesus did, you'd be washing the feet of those peons. <laughs> right, right, exactly. You become their yeah. servant. And yeah. I was trying to send a message. You guys are being very worldly in your leadership yeah, here. Yeah. Well, anyway. even there, it's just weird, though, the wa- washing feet. The point yeah. is to adapt this to our culture. Now we go and we do what nobody else wants to do to serve other people. Yeah, good point. Verse 18, it says, I'm not saying these things to all of all of you. I know the ones I've chosen But this fulfills that scripture says, the one who eats my food has turned against me. I tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you will will believe that I am the Messiah. I tell you the truth. Anyone who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me. And anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the father who sent me. Now, Jesus was deeply troubled. I think we just see like anxiety boiling in him. And he exclaimed, to tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other, wondering who he could mean. The disciple Jesus loved was sitting, this would be John who's writing this. The disciple whom Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Simon Peter motioned to him and asked, who's he talking about? So that disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? And Jesus responded, it is the one whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. And when he had... Now, I, we got to say something about that because it almost feels as though... <laughs> It, that seems a little silly, doesn't it? Because if he just says, if he says to all the disciples, okay, it's it's the person that I'm dipping the bread in the bowl and giving it to, that's who this one is. And they were all witnessing it. That's not what was happening. Yeah. John actually leaned over and said, who is it? And he said, you'll be able to tell by the one I, I give the bread to after I dip it in the bowl. 
Yeah, and there's a lot of chaos going on. There's a lot of conversations that are happening. You're Not everybody. Yeah. Of dishes yeah. and noise. I think like yeah. when we, you know, the paintings and the movie depictions show more of a somber moment. But this is a party that that's happening. When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus told him, "Hurry and do what you're going to do." None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. Since Judas was their treasurer, some thought Jesus was telling him to go and pay for the food or to give some money to the poor. So Judas left at once, going out into the night. As soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, The time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of his Son, he will give his own glory to the Son, and he will do so at once. Dear children, I will, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me. You can't come where I'm going. We read that, read that last week. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other, just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Hmm. So it's not your knowledge. It's not your ability to debate. It's not your ability to point out the flaws of those around you. It is your love that proves to the world that you are Jesus' disciple. And Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. He's talking about death. Why can't I come with you now, Lord? Yes, I'm ready to die for you. And Jesus answered, die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Hmm. Well, Psalm 77 yeah. Is the corresponding Psalm for today? And this is in this whole section again, where the psalmist is lamenting the difficulty that Israel is going through. In fact, at one point in verse five, he says, "I think of the good old days, long since ended." <laughs> that and how often do we do that? We we and they they say that reminiscing can be really bad grammar because it makes the past perfect and the present tense. And in fact, as he continues saying this, I think of the good days all, you know, all long, all, all day long. And as he's saying this, it just makes it worse because he's just thinking how great it was back then when it wasn't necessarily all that great back then. And then finally, he returns his thoughts to what they should be when he said, oh, at verse 13, oh, God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of miracles and wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. We, we, he was able to get back to the place of allowing for the goodness of God in the good old days to simply remind him that this is a good God and he is good today as well, not just back then. Yeah, it's good stuff. God's good for you. He's good to you. And these are the good old days. So focus on his goodness and his blessing and his mercy and his grace to you today. And that will change the way you approach this day. Yeah. So enjoy the good old day that is today. And we'll see you tomorrow.